Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host V. Quarantine still. <laughs> Today is April 9th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. Like you know, we are quarantined and social distancing due to this coronavirus pandemic, but we are still going to figure out a way to bring you content at all costs. On today's show, we'll do some news and notes of popular sports, music, and pop culture. All kinds of stories from around the, from around the globe, from Major League Baseball's plan, Lady Gaga, Mike Gundy, Hank Aaron, UFC, college football, the NFL draft, and more. We'll also talk to our resident college football insider, Zach Smith, on what the impact of missing spring ball will have on college football and competition, plus the idea of playing games with no fans. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. And while you're at it, grab some Pilot Boys wristbands from shop.pilotboys.com. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast, episode 22. Time to hit some news and notes. You ready, V? Yes, let's get it. All right, let's talk first about you know, obviously the coronavirus has provided, you know, kind of a disaster scenario for sports fans. Um, obviously, we realize the bigger health concerns. We'll never trivialize those. But for a sports fan, it's it's, it's been tough because, uh, you know, there aren't any sports on right now. And we don't really know when any sports are going to come back. Uh, but Major League Baseball has, you know, at least proposed something or at least is working on something that could bring back baseball in May, which I think is very aggressive. But essentially what they're trying to do is, kind of quarantine all of their players, all 30 teams in the Phoenix area, have aggressive testing, um, have double headers, obviously no fans, but try to get the season started, um, obviously with the help and guidance of healthcare professionals in May, and uh, just see where it goes. So that's what they're working on right now. What were your thoughts when you first heard about that? Well, it's um, it's obviously I think every sport has to have some sort of plan of what they're going to do and adjust for the new reality. I don't know if this plan was something that they're far down the lines of or if it was just a proposal that they're discussing um, as an option. But I think, obviously, the, the priority at this point, I think it's it's a little premature to uh, to plan any sport. Um, I'm, I'm playing any sport, especially with us still not understanding this virus and illness and, and how um, it is passed and transmitted and the potential effects that it could have, even if if players are quarantined together, if one player gets it, um, if they're all together, somehow being even in the Phoenix area, um, how that would even work. Um, but, you know, as your brother mentioned last week, 
there are other factors in play here for these sports because there are big TV contracts and 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 advertising contracts and things of that nature that are being threatened. Baseball needs money to pay its salaries to to continue to function. So definitely understand the challenge. I just think that they need to be a little bit more sensitive considering how big of an organization they are and how much attention um, their actions draw um, and can impact the public at large and how they they view this illness. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, first of all, I I would have to imagine that, you know, they at least believe that they're taking this seriously, right? Because, you know, they don't mention any kind of um, idea about this plan without mentioning the fact that they're going to be consulting specifically with healthcare and medical professionals, so on and so forth. And but what to me it brings up a kind of a bigger point, which I think any business that's in business, whether you're in sports or not, is going to have to imagine a world, at least in the next, I would say, 18 months or so, before there's a vaccine, where you have to get back to business on some level. And what that's going to mean is that you're going to have to actually implement things that are different from what you were you had previously done. When this thing quote unquote opens back up, it's not going to be, oh yeah, everybody get back to business as normal. No, it's going to open back up slowly you're gonna have to trickle in you're gonna have to have new ideas and new plans and there's also gonna be a risk that's not you know that's not zero percent that your employees or you know whoever else is around personnel are gonna get someone's gonna get sick or someone's gonna get infected and so maybe that's where waivers and so, so on and those type of things come into play but it'll be interesting i mean major league baseball isn't the only one talking like this um you know, UFC also is, is you know, saying, well, we're going to buy a private island and we're going to hold our fights. You know, they're being even more aggressive. What were your thoughts when you heard about UFC's idea to try to get back to business ASAP? Well, I'm a little less surprised by the UFC, just to be brutally honest, because if you look at the sport itself, um, it is a very violent and vicious sport whose athletes are taking grave risk every time they enter a ring. Um, so the expectation there and, and not taking this, this virus as seriously, isn't as surprising in that sport. Um, but if they, you know, again, this again goes back to, are are the play, are the players or the fighters all going to sign off on this thing? Are they going to sign waivers being on a private Island? Are you going to have the healthcare? Are you going to fund the UFC going to fund having the healthcare facilities in place? making sure that there is vigorous testing. And then that, you know, in both these situations, it raises a, a, a larger PR concern, which is something that's already been voiced. And, and you've mentioned it on social media a few different times about how is it all these celebrities and even a tiger in a zoo can get a test, but it still remains hard um, for the average citizen to get a, get a, get a, get a test. Um, and, 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 and the potential issues that that creates with are these athletes are, is that what we should be prioritizing is making sure that sports continue when there's still a, a major healthcare crisis going on with the overall, overall. Community. Yeah. I, so I think from a PR perspective, you're right. They're going to have to be able to deal with that. I think one thing, at least for major league baseball, who probably cares a little bit more about PR, uh, they're going to have to make sure that testing is widely available to the public by the time they open back up. Yep. And because, and not just because, you know, people are going to be upset, like, oh, why can they get tests? We can't. That's one thing. And that's the big issue. But the other issue is that this thing is actually starting to touch everyday people daily now. Yep. So now there's not one person I know personally that doesn't know someone or at least know of someone 
who's who's been infected with this disease or you know or this virus and or who's in the hospital and as time continues to go on we're going to see that more and more so it's going to start becoming more and more personal to people and then the stories of people who are sick or who have high fevers or whatever who can't get tests those are also going to start to increase until testing becomes becomes more widely spread but one of the big issues that I, that I was thinking about as it pertains to baseball and Jeff passed Passan or Passan, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. He's the one who actually kind of broke the story to ESPN about Major League Baseball. One of the things that he had, had touched on was, what are the what's the players' reaction going to be to this? Because yeah. theoretically, you know, these guys want to play and they want to get paid. I mean, yes, they don't want to be away from their family for four and a half months in Phoenix, sequestered from everyone and not able to do stuff. But they also have to reimagine a world that's not going to be the way that they once had it. And they still probably want to get paid. And if you don't play, you don't get paid, which is the issue we're seeing in the NBA as a kind of a segue where the NBA is actually kind of doing the opposite, which, you know, people are saying they're angling to kind of get this season canceled. And then there's stories coming out of, you know, only nine guys are going to get 90 percent of their salary or, plus, uh, or more, all being Rich Paul clients, just based on how the contracts were written. And if the season gets canceled, a lot of these guys are not going to get paid. What do you think about the NBA's kind of opposite uh, approach to this thing and how that will affect the players and and the sport? Yeah, you know, both of us are big fans of of um, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. Um, and I think from the outset, the way that they've handled um, this situation has been been a plus. Right. Um, because they're sending a message out to the to the community and the world that they want to function in for the long term that the best thing for everyone to do in the short term is to just pause and chill. Um, if we want the NBA for the next 10 years, the best thing we can do is to stop it right now, especially once they actually were the first league that we saw players getting starting to contract the disease, right? So again, that, that might have been part of the reason for their their response, but Again, the NBA is handling this well, um, and I do believe that although I think there's the 90% that they will come to some reasonable understanding with the players um, and their union um, to sort out the financial side of this thing as well. Yeah, and, you know, it's I think the NBA, like you said, I mean, I think they, they have talked about figuring out ways to start back up, you know, and, and one of the things that happened, they were actually following what was happening in, I believe, in China. And China was about to start up one of their professional leagues. And then I think an, an outbreak kind of happened again, and then they decided to close that down. And once that happened, I think the NBA kind of started realizing, okay, this may, this thing can come in waves. And so opening back up, you know, um, may not be in our best interest, especially considering that the season is really supposed to be over in, you know, seven, eight weeks from now anyway. And then the other thing is liability, which we talked about before, which is, you really understanding what liability you have here if something does go wrong. If God forbid, you know, one of your players or employees or personnel contracts it and dies in this, as a result, what does that mean for you and your organization? So those are things that people are going to have to consider. Um, you know, the NFL draft is actually still happening, um, which I think is, is a good thing because, you know, a lot of the draft doesn't need to necessarily be in person. A lot of that is for show, right? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, who are the players? submit it digitally or electronically or whatever. Um, you can figure out a way to televise it if, if, if you want. And let's start picking guys. And, um, you know, for me, I think it's, I think it's great um, that that's happening.
But I do think that it also will pre- present some unique challenges to the organizations. What are your thoughts on the NFL draft still happening? I mean, there are a couple things, right? With with the social distancing measures that have occurred, you know, a lot of the training that these guys are doing leading up to the draft isn't happening. The pre-draft is evaluations of teams um, being able to, to ev- evaluate individual players in person. Um, that's becoming more difficult. So it's creating a kind of a, 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 a double-sided issue, right? On the side of teams, they're not able to evaluate players that they're potentially going to be investing millions of dollars into the same way that they would like to. Um, and on the flip side, the players who are trying to improve their draft status or stock, pretty much what what people have seen through the combine, and many of these guys didn't get invited to the combine. They were relying on their pro grade to make an impression are not going to get that same opportunity. And it's just going to be interesting to see how, how this impacts certain players and their draft status guys that potentially had upside and were improving their stock and versus guys that, uh, that the opposite was happening to like what this is going to have, what this is going to have in terms of an impact on, on teams and, and the, the quality of, of players that are drafted. Yeah, because I think a couple of things. One thing that, you know, struck me when you're talking is that I think the flip side will also happen to guys that have a lot of hype that sometimes get weeded out through the kind of draft evaluation process will probably get overdrafted. Yep. Um, so I guess that's a good thing for them. But I think the more the bigger thing that, that strikes me here is that these these fucking executives are gonna actually have to do their job now. You know, yeah. they're gonna have to go scour the internet, scour tapes, watch film, you know, call coaches call, you know, call high school coaches, find out, you know, do work, actually do work and stop relying on who has the fastest 40 time and who has the best vertical and your fake wonder leg test or whatever to figure out who's a good player. And, you know, so in in a weird way, um, if they do that, I think there, this could end up being one of the better drafts in terms of just the quality of talent that we see and the, and the quality of competition that we see at the top because these guys realize that they're going to have to do additional work that they weren't doing before. So we'll see what happens with the draft. Obviously we're, you know, we're football guys, you know, we love, you know, we know players that are going to be in this draft and we obviously wish them well. So we'll see what happens with that. I want to move on a little bit though, uh, transition a little bit out of sports um, and into kind of this, you know, a little bit more kind of coronavirus talk, right? There's, there's obviously been, there's been some optimism uh, recently, which I think is good. And I think it's important for us to, to always point that out, right? You know, with be tempered with it, right? So we don't create false expectations and all of a sudden have people running outside again as if everything's good. But there's been some optimism. And, um, but one of the things that kind of struck me recently as far as pop culture was Lady Gaga, right? I think Lady Gaga, she, she helped raise $35 million for the World Health Organization. And one of the things that she had said that I think was, was poignant was when she was talking in a Jimmy Fallon interview, she was saying how she's not buying this whole we're all in this together talk from celebrities. You know, a lot of celebrities are you know posting videos and singing songs and saying we're all in this together. This is the equalizer. And she's like, that's bullshit, because at the end of the day, you know, we're not all in this together. You know, the you know, self social distancing has shown, first of all, this coronavirus is taking people in minority and poor communities at a disproportionate level. 
That's number one. But number two, even the ability to social distance, and this is something that we have to also make sure we're very clear on, you know, has socioeconomic impacts as well. When you're tweeting, oh, my tough life from your fucking balcony of your six-story mansion, you know, oh, God, I just wish I could go outside, and you're looking at the sun in the hills, that's not the same situation that, you know, someone in a, in a rural rural community is potentially living in. And when you say, oh, we're all in this together in this fight, but, you know, you can get health care or you can get a test, even if you don't even have symptoms, but someone else can't, can't, who has greater systems, we're not, they're not. So, you know, we understand things trying to be cool and trying to like make we are the world, but let's be realistic here. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think as, as always, I think celebrities and the ultra wealthy um, eventually become disconnected with a lot of realities that normal human beings face, right? That's that's just natural. Um, but I think there is a thing called tact um, in how you how you um, approach a situation and how you deal with it. Um, to to actually, and I think you brought up a great point. What we're seeing through this virus is that things are not the same for all people, even in a play, in a country like America. Healthcare in a lot of these um, urban communities, inner city communities, they don't have access to the health care that these people out in Calabasas have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's, there's, there's huge shortages and you're seeing this in New York um, of and disparity between the treatment that, that the poor are getting versus the more wealthy. Um, and then also, like you said, understanding and accepting that you're coming from a place mm-hmm. of privilege goes a long way. Right. Um, and, yeah. I, and I think um, and that would be very helpful in this situation. Like I think Arnold Schwarzenegger posted a video encouraging people to social distance from like his jacuzzi smoking a cigar and, and drinking a glass of wine. Like you've got to be more mindful than that of yeah. of of what you're doing and the message that you're sending as a celebrity during times like this. <laughs> And then the other thing, too, is, you know, and I agree. And I think the other thing, you know, there's there are also downsides. There's spikes in divorce. There's spikes in domestic violence. I mean, this is not this is international, international issues. So, you know, I understand, again, the whole we are the world thing. But I think people have to be very, very careful of understanding, you know, that a lot of people are not dealing with the same issues. So that, that doesn't mean you shouldn't promote the optimism, you know, like how many people are recovering, you know, if there's new if there are new you know developments in and testing or whatever, I think that's great. But this whole kind of we are the world thing to me strikes me as a, as a little bit tone deaf. And it's funny, actually talking, speaking of celebrities, you can turn this into something a little funny. I don't know if you saw Tracy Morgan's interview on the Today Show when essentially they're asking him, what is he doing during quarantine? And, you know, Tracy Morgan is a guy that you got to be careful having him on your show, whether it's, you know, especially if it's PG, because he's just going to tell it like it is. Did you get a chance to see it? Well, Walmart should have never given Tracy Morgan fuck you money, right? <laughs> that is not the guy. He already had a fuck you meant to fuck it, fuck you mentality, but now he's a uh, he he is unrestricted and doesn't care and I love it. Um it definitely um shouldn't have been something he even he should have been mindful of the fact that he was on Good Morning America. Uh, right. but it was uh it, it did create a funny moment for for, it is what it is. for, for people who didn't know for yeah. people who didn't know basically he he you know they asked what he was doing during the coronavirus and basically he said he, he and his wife were role, role playing and kind of went in a little bit explicit detail of, of what they're doing which i thought was funny uh, a couple quick shout outs one um shout out to bill weathers bill weathers passed away 
this week, just, you know, as things continue to God, can you be shitty his, in 2020. Can you believe his catalog of music and the number of songs that he recorded and made that are still timeless and is still played consistently? Everyone still hears it of every age group. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. He His catalog is unbelievable. If you don't know about Bill Withers, go check him out. Obviously, there's no Masters uh, this year, um, but, you know, it's funny that our last memory of the Masters as of we speak right now, is Tiger Woods winning in 2019. That was a, a crazy and special moment. Uh, you know, I hope we, I think they are trying to schedule it for October. I think they've actually scheduled it for October or November. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. But at least, you know, for now, we just, Tiger is the winner. <laughs> just, just rewatch last year's last year's Masters and uh, Tiger maybe deserves to, to, to have an extra year of people to enjoy his win, right? Yeah, and also um, this week in 1974, Hank Aaron, actually April 8th, Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record, uh, which was something that nobody ever expected would ever happen. You know, um, that that number is still ridiculous to this day. Babe Ruth's number, not to men- mention Hank Aaron's number. Any memories with with that or any thoughts on, on Hank Aaron? I mean, to, to to all of us, Hank Aaron should always remain the home run king, considering the time that he came in, um, what he dealt with, how he got to that record. And then, you know, obviously the the steroid era, Barry Bronze broke that record. And Hank Aaron has been on been on record saying that that's a little um, that is controversial um, and has been a topic that we've talked about um, since the steroid era and since Barry Bonds. Um, but what Hank Aaron accomplished without without any cloud over his, his name and breaking a record like Babe Ruth's, I mean, um, and what it represented to society um, is just an amazing, amazing thing that we should always relish and remember. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, to me, Hank was is just, you know, obviously one of the greats and, and not just what he did, obviously, as a home run king, but just who he is as a person and all the different stories you hear about how he's helped different people and how he's been just a great statesman uh, for baseball. Um, one other thing I want to talk about in news and notes before we get out of here, and this is kind of a little grim, is, is celebrities dying at, at age 27. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, first of all, there's been a lot of celebrities that have, you know, particularly rappers that have passed away in the last couple of years, not all age 27, but it's a topic of, you know, more, more so about celebrities dying young um, than it is necessarily about the age 27. But, you know, if you look back in history, um, you know, Amy Winehouse was 27, Kurt Cobain was 27, Jimi Hendrix was 27. I mean, the list is is extensive. Um, And it is sad because, you know, particularly now, seeing a lot of these increased deaths. There's another rapper from L.A. um, that died this week as well. And it's kind of just like, wow, like seeing all of our young kind of celebrities and talented people die. You know, what are your thoughts, first of all, just on that generally, and then also on the kind of the 27 thing? I mean, obviously the 27 thing has been 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 debunked. Obviously, there are just so many great talents. I mean, it, it came to light recently because I think April 5th was the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death um, at 27 by suicide. What it points to me, to more than anything, is a reminder that celebrity life isn't always what it's cut out to be becoming that famous and generating that much attention. There is a dark side to that, that many people can't handle. Um, and you see a lot of these situations, they involve drugs or depression or, or other 
um, other issues that that we just have to always remember. We always see the glorified side of celebrity, but to also appreciate and understand that for these people, it's not a, it's not always an easy life, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's you know as you know as, as someone who's an artist and you know been in this business for a long time, that was one of the things that always kind of just scared me before I really got into it was like, what does it mean that all these people are dying young? Is it, is it that this, this, you know, this lifestyle or this industry is providing a hard life for people that they're not able to cope with? Are are you in danger as a result? You know, those are things that real thing issues that, you know, we talked about, you and I have even talked about many times before and trying to figure it out. And like you said, it's this week is the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death. And that was one of the saddest ones. I remember just, how popular he was. I mean, not even just amongst, you know, white kids. I mean, he was popular in Nirvana and, and, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit was popular, you know, amongst everyone. And when, when he, you know, took his life, we were all very saddened by it. And so it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it sucks for us as fans and obviously more so for their family and so on and so forth, of course, but as fans to see kind of our artists that we fell in love with who are providing us so many great moments, it sucks to see them go like that. So, you know, obviously RIP to, to all of them. And, um, you know, hopefully we can start working on things, mental health and other things that, that can, you know, start making sure that we don't, people aren't ending their lives like that. And not just celebrities, you and I talked about this before, suicide numbers are going up, even during this time period with the coronavirus and people losing jobs. That's another thing that we have to keep our eye on. So let's just say prayer, keep prayers out for that. And, and then And check up on the people that you know, um, and are concerned about. Don't be afraid to that, do that consistently. Great, great advice. And then also, I think also the last thing I'll say on that, it was as it regards to mental health, is stop forcing and pressuring people to do whatever you think that they should do. You know, this is a very difficult time for people. People have to figure out how they can cope. And it's that you telling them, hey, you should be doing this and doing that and start a business and do that. No, like, no, not everybody's capable. Not everybody's there mentally let people cope the way they need to cope. But I do think the point that you made about making sure people are checking up on people is very poignant. And, um, you know, I guess we can leave it there, man, because this, this is very serious. And um, we just want to make sure that, you know, people understand how serious it is. And then also that we put our two cents out there and, you know, hopefully, you know, help the world, even if it's in a small way. So that's it. That's all we have for news and notes. Episode 22. You're listening to the pilot boys podcast. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are now here with our resident college football insider, former Ohio State wide receivers coach, Zach Smith. Zach, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me on, even in quarantine. Yeah, even in quarantine. And obviously, we know your podcast is still going, Menace to Sports. Make sure everybody check that out everywhere. Uh, Zach, we had a couple questions, man. We wanted to talk kind of, you know, obviously about college football, you know, as it as it relates to the coronavirus. I mean, obviously, we know that, we're in a situation now where spring football has been canceled pretty much everywhere. And, you know, um, who knows what's going to happen with summer conditioning. And so, you know, we've been looking at this situation and thinking, okay, you know, Kirk Herbstreit came out and said he doesn't think there's going to be a season. Then people pushed back on him and said, why are you saying that? And so obviously there's all this discussion about whether there's going to be a season. So let's just assume for the sake of this particular question, let's assume that there is a season that gets played this fall. Tell us the, the top three issues that a coach you know, that coaches face or a coach will face basically trying to prepare for a season without having spring ball. Yeah. Uh, and it, 
without having spring ball, it, it's going to be, you, you got to look at it. And I've been doing a breakdown kind of for one of my shows coming up of who's going to be impacted the most, like what teams, because if you really look at it, it's the teams that, that, that needed those reps the most, albeit it's a new staff, a new coordinator, a new quarterback, you know, Ohio state's in a, in a pretty decent position because although they had a, a, a turnover uh, with Jeff Halfley leaving, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be consistent on offense. Their quarterback's coming back. Their defense is not going to change much. Greg Madison was heavily involved. So you look at a team like Ohio state and, and they're probably, no one is going to benefit from this obviously, but, but if you look at it, kind of the optimistic view, Ohio state kind of got an edge in a situation like this as did Clemson. I mean, they lost Jeff Scott, but he wasn't their main play caller. But then you look at it as a school like LSU, two new coordinators, brand new quarterback. I mean, good luck with no spring ball. Mm-hmm. And on right. top of that, I talked to a friend of mine who, who's uh, coaches at Florida State, new staff, completely new staff, mm-hmm. trying to turn a program around. They lost their first spring. I mean, that's that's critical for yeah. a coach. So that that's the one thing you look at consistency of, of key players, right? Because you can get a corner ready in a, in the summer. You know, you need spring ball for a quarterback or a full scheme switch. Mm. And then the, the the other thing that you worry about is, all right, without spring ball, that's a big, not only is it big for development during spring ball, but that's critical film for players from in the summer. You yeah. have to go back and, and watch all their spring cutups and see how they did, see where they could improve. I mean, that is a teaching tool that you can't replicate. And it's so now it's interesting you said that, too, because we had Johnny Dixon. Um, former Ohio State wide receiver now with Arizona Cardinals. We had him on our show a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that he said was that uh, his greatest turnaround in, in one of in one of his years at Ohio State was his last spring, uh, his last spring practice or last spring ball, I guess you could say, before the season started, and that was when he like kind of gained his utmost confidence and kind of knew that he could turn things around. So that that's just to piggyback kind of what you were saying, how important that is, not even just for the coaches but also for the players. Yeah, absolutely. Critical. And another thing is um, that I wanted to ask about with the players not even being in in their city, whatever school they're at, and around the coaching staff, and most of them spread out all around the country at home. What challenges does that create in terms of even just team team bonding? And and you're talking about you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one year old kids. You give some insight if if you know on what some coaches are actually doing try to keep everyone engaged and, and working together despite being so spread apart. Yeah. I mean, they're doing a great job. The guys that I've talked to, I've talked to guys in probably, I don't know, 15 different programs and pretty much everyone's doing similar things. They're doing zoom meetings, the same thing, shoot, the same thing that businesses are doing. They're doing zoom meetings. They're doing Google hangouts They're And then they're doing, uh, they're, they're having players film drill work and then they're coaching them up one-on-one on, on, on some kind of internet media. And I mean, so they're, they're, they're doing things to still coach. It's just, uh, and then of course there's the extremist in Nick Saban who has Apple bought everyone an Apple Watch and he's tracking their activity to make sure they're right. working out and getting their steps in. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask you about that too. Yeah, so it, I, I think everyone's doing things a little differently, but pretty much everyone's kind of following suit with society, right? Everyone's doing online meetings, online staff meetings, online position meetings, one-on-one meetings. And then, like I said, filming, having kids film drill work and trying to coach them up from a distance, which is tough, but, you know, you do what you can. And the other thing, too, is, you know, we talked about spring ball, but I think another underrated part of kind of um, preparation for the fall is summer, right? Summer conditioning. I remember, first of all, I fucking hated summer conditioning. I mean, Jesus. 
But like that's a huge part of this thing as well. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know, what what does happen during summer conditioning? I don't even know if the average person knows. Yeah. And so, how how important is that for the season? I mean, it's critical because because you don't you don't just train and you know it's not like every week you train you get a little bit better for football. It's it's a ca- mapped out calendar to to have you peak in season. And so they go winter conditioning, and that's about mental toughness. That's about building strength and size and 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 really trying to blow up and and get stronger and tougher. And then you go through spring ball, and then the summer is all about getting in football shape, getting your body at peak football position, uh, you know, football condition. And if, if these players are missing out on that, they're—I mean, they better. There, there there's, has to be a clear plan of what they're to be doing at home, and some some sort of follow through. Because if they if they just skip summer, you're going to see multiple hamstring injury injuries. Guys aren't going to be at peak physical shape. You're not going to even know how good a receiver could have been or how fast he could have been because he didn't have those three, four months to get ready for the season. Mm. And, and it's interesting. So one of the things too, that I guess you kind of just touched on, which I was also going to ask about was kind of how we, you know, let's just say, obviously there's going to be an abridged summer, right? Um, even if, even if we, let's just say best case scenario, we get to, you know, the season that's not going to happen next even next week or next month right it probably will be something that happens over the summer so that means at least first part of the summer will be guys on their own um so missing let's just say this again best case scenario missing all the spring missing let's say half of the summer and you talked about this a little bit let's talk about the competition next season the quality of teams the quality of football we're going to see injury risk what what, how do you evaluate what the season will actually look like um with with that type of with this type of preparation or lack thereof yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're going to see uh, – I don't think you're going to see – at the highest level, I don't think you're going to see that much of a difference because they're going to adapt and adjust. They're going to find a way to get the product that they want on the field. What you, what you might see is, is more parity. You might see more uh, – you know, the, the, the higher-end, best staffs, best programs are just a little bit better than the middle tier where, where normally you, you, don't, you, know, you don't have that gap. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're slight, slightly better. But you're going to see the cream rise at the top is what you're going to do. It's just like in recruiting right now. Guys guys that are rattling off commitments and, and that are, that are going to come out of this thing stronger are the better staff and people that have adapted better. So I think that at the end, Trevor Lawrence is going to have a great season like he would have if, if they had spring ball. But it's going to be that middle-tier ACC quarterback that's going to struggle more than he would have. You follow me? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, another question too was like the there's you know there's obviously I think every business and we talked about this earlier in the show but every business now is going to have to adjust to what a kind of post coronavirus world looks like right I think in the short term and then also in the long term in the long term hopefully you know after there's a vaccine and you know we get this thing under control things will start to look normal but in the short term things are not going to look normal to the extent that things quote unquote get opened back up it's not going to be like okay we go back to what we were doing before it's going to be with specific kind of you know healthcare measures in place social distancing measures in place and to me one of the one of the big things that's being discussed especially as it pertains to college football is and a lot of other sports actually is playing the season without fans right because obviously you bring 100,000 people into a stadium every week not to mention 500,000 people tailgating you know, all across the country, and this thing isn't fully contained, you know, that could obviously cause major issues. So what are your thoughts on even the, the idea of playing the season with no fans? Or should, or would you rather it just, let's just scrap this year and let's just wait until next year and, and, and do it 
the normal way. Yeah, see, I mean, I I think whatever they can do, you know, with obviously the greater good at, in mind, I mean, the, the health of the world is much more important. But if, if there's a way to play the game and maintain a healthy, safe environment, whether it's without fans, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it needs to be, I think they should they need to play it. I mean, you're talking about these kids. Some of these kids are going to their fifth year, like Jonathan Cooper, sixth year guy. What he's got to come back for a seventh year now. Right. It's outrageous. Right. So I, I think you let them play. The kids will want to do it. And the fans, certainly the mental health of football fans is in jeopardy, if not. Um, right. So, like I said, if, if it's if it's healthy and if it's safe to do it, I think they should play it. Now, I'm not I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that that means you should pack 100,000 people in a stadium. That sounds kind of outrageously right. the opposite end of the spectrum. But I think you should right. find a way to play the game. Find a way. Well, speaking of that, you know, Mike Gundy and, and Dabo. Sorry, V. Let me jump in here with this real quick because this is a good segue. You know, they they've had some comments, um, not necessarily on the same end of the spectrum. I mean, kind of the same end of the spectrum, but Gund- Gundy's were substantially worse. Dabo just kind of, you know, I think people were expecting him as a lot of other coaches have done, like Ryan Day and a lot of other good coaches have put out PSAs on the importance of social distancing and taking this thing seriously and so on and so forth. Dabo chose not to do that and talked about how he was flying his, you know, private to Florida with his family and, you know, just kind of enjoying life still, which I think is fine. Um, it's not but the fine. only problem is that, well, well, for some people it's not fine, but the problem, I think it's fine to feel like you kind of want to live your normal life or whatever and just, you know, do whatever you do. But I think the problem with that is when you're a high public figure like that and people listen to every word that you say, even if they can misinterpret it, first of all, and then also you're kind of sending a message that this thing isn't necessarily as serious as people need to take it. That's number one. But for, for, for Gundy, he's saying he wants to open shit up back on May 1st and, Bring these, bring these boys in here, and let's 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 start running this money through Oklahoma and, and getting this shit back here. And and it kind of uh, makes me, you know, not I'm not gonna necessarily ask you specifically what you think about their comments. More so, a general question, which is, what do you think is a coach's responsibility in this type of situation? I know it's very different um, from what we're used to, but how do you kind of how do you kind of evaluate what a coach, uh, you know, should be doing here and how they should be handling this? You know, I mean, I. I, I see I see two sides of it. Uh, one side certainly is what you said. You're an influencer, right? You have mm-hmm. you have influence. So you have to take that into account. You need to take your personal beliefs or whatever you think, you know, you're going to be doing about this pandemic or really any issue. And you got to think about, all right, what can I say or do to influence people in a positive direction? I think that's mm-hmm. the first thing they needed to do. And both, neither did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the second thing I think is it's it's a lot like when they uh, I don't know if you saw the, the clip of them asking that soccer coach in in Europe uh, about it and he was like why are you asking me this I'm a soccer yes, coach don't ask right. me this stuff you know it's like I saw Urban and Shelley were on 10 TV giving their opinion of of the coronavirus and what we should be doing and it's like come on man these people are football coaches no one mm-hmm. should care what their opinion is right so I, I see both sides of it it's like wh- why do I care what Dabo Sweeney thinks we should do about the coronavirus he knows nothing. <laughs> Yeah. It's like asking me what we should do about and the and you. I, what, what should we do about the coronavirus? And I think that that's kind of the crux of, of the issues that we're facing right now is that we're not necessarily focusing our attention on people that understand this illness, the epidemiologists, the doctors right. who we should be listening to. And instead, we're getting flooded with the opinions, like you said, of Dabo Sweeney and Mike Gundy and other politicians who aren't the experts on this illness. And it's sometimes I feel like we've gotten to a place in society where 
everyone thinks that they're supposed to have an opinion on everything. Having an opinion is one thing, but then disseminating that information and that opinion to the public is irresponsible, right? Um, For many reasons. And then also, you know, being sensitive as when you're a head football coach of a school like Clemson or Oklahoma State, you are representative of your city, your state, um, and and you should keep in mind um, what what the government officials and stuff are saying as well about social distancing. And at least, you know, even if you're paying lip service to it and you don't agree with it, you should be in line because at the end of the day, your salary is paid by by a lot of a lot of people. Bingo. People. And, and that's the, that to me is the big point is that these guys are being paid by the public. And they're being paid these $8 million, $7 million, $5 million salaries annually, not just to be football coaches. They're also hired to, to be statesmen and be spokes, spokesmen and women of these universities and sometimes the state. You know, Nick Saban is the most powerful person probably in Alabama. So I, I agree that we don't necessarily need to take medical advice from them. But I do think that they should be responsible enough as ambassadors to at least echo um, what the professionals are saying in whatever field, it, whatever situation it is, like you said, Zach, it's not just you as it pertains to the pandemic. It could be something else that's happening um, where there are other experts involved. But I think that we're, they should be smart enough to be, um, you know, we should be able to give that responsibility to them to kind of echo those same things. And, and with Van, Gun- or Van Gundy, Mike Gundy, I'm going to go a little bit further on him. His, his wasn't just about irresponsibility as it comes to the coronavirus. That's, that was obviously apparent by saying we want guys back in May 1st and you know, and obviously the university had to come out and say, look, that's not how it's going to go. He doesn't decide it. The medical professionals will decide it, which I thought was good. But also just about how he kind of spoke about the athletes. These guys are 18, 19, 20. They can kick this thing. You know, let's get these boys back in here and let's start running money through the state of Oklahoma. Fuck you. You know, like these guys are putting their lives and bodies on the line. You're not. You're making millions of dollars. They're not. So to even talk about these guys like that, you know, shows a, a, a lot about who he is. And hopefully, you know, I, you know, for me, I'm always going to rail against people like that. And hopefully he loses his fucking shirt when it comes to recruiting and, you know, people kind of paying attention to him. But I think the bigger, the bigger thing is making sure, like, you know, like you said, initially, Zach, and like, be like what you said, that these coaches understand how big of an issue it is. And even if you don't agree necessarily personally, you understand that, you know, there are a lot of people following you and, and paying lip service, at least pay lip service to it. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, you know, I'm surprised that that happened, but, you know, that's probably how a lot of coaches feel. So one other thing I wanted to talk about, too, uh, Zach, is is kind of the economic impact here, right? Um, you know, because obviously, let me just say this, right, because it's very important that people understand. We understand that the most important thing that as it relates to this pandemic is the value of human lives and the healthcare and medical aspect of this thing. We'll never trivialize that. So to the extent that we ever talk about you know, football or sports or economic impact, please know that we also always understand that that comes first. Um, but there are other issues that are also need to be addressed, right? And one of them is economic impact. And one of the questions I'll have for you, Zach, two or two questions actually is one is for the coaches, right? Let's say there is no season, you know, what is, how does that affect your contract? How does that affect, you know, your, your, your feeling about employment, you know, and, and then secondly, in Columbus, and I know, you, you know, you've been in Columbus many, many years, what would the economic impact of Columbus happen? Uh, what, what would it be in Columbus? And V, I want your opinion on that, too. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I mean, it's it's one of those things where football coaches are so spoiled that they, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get paid regardless of what goes on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to impact them. Although I'd love to hear that, like, you know, they're they're no different than the bartender at the local restaurant, where it's like, sorry, no football, no paycheck. That'd be right. But, but it's not, you know, that's not realistic. I don't think so. Uh, they'll be fine. I mean, it, I think that the reality is that the impact that it's going to have on the, the sports world outside of the, the program, you know, Ohio state will survive. The coaches will survive. It's more like, I mean, you look at my podcast and, and, and what I, what I'm building. I mean, I have huge plans for the fall that we're hopefully going to catapult this thing to, to another level. You take away the fall and it's like, Oh man, I mean, that's a huge hit. And, and, and that, that's just my little sob story, right? My personal sob story. You think about all of the other local businesses it's going to impact. It's going to be tough. Um, and, but I think, the sport and the coaches and the athletes, they'll all be fine. It's going to be everybody else that's going to, that would, you know, be really hindered if they canceled the season or did something like, uh, along that magnitude. Right. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on the economic impact, especially particularly in Columbus, just knowing how much Ohio State football uh, kind of, you know, runs the city. I mean, Columbus, Columbus is going to definitely be impacted. Obviously it's a, it's, it's a city that's not completely dependent on Ohio state football. And there's, there are other industries as well. But if you look at it, you take away anyone that's been in, in Columbus and, and you also have to look at places that aren't like that, like LSU, for example, in Baton Rouge, um, as well in cities like that, where football really does drive the entire economy in the fall, right? It's, you're taking away a hundred thousand ticket sales. You're taking away all of the vendors and retailers and everybody else who is making some money off of, off of football season at Ohio state. And not to mention, you know, you're talking about close to 500,000 people becomes a center of, of the city for, for the fall. So there's the economic impact. And then there's also the psychological impact and toll that that's going to take people build their lives um, both personally and, and professionally around, around this, um, this time period. Um, we can, yeah. you know, and that, that whether or not you agree that that's all right or not, it's just, it's just the reality. And, and well, I think that's why, I think that's why a lot of people were really pissed off with, with Kirk Herbstreet is not necessarily because they didn't agree that there was a chance that what he was saying was actually true. Um, I think maybe it was the timing of it. And also people don't want to hear that shit right now because of what you just said. You know what I mean? Like, all right. You know, yeah. you know what I think it is? I think it's, it's kind of like when the governor of Virginia shut down Virginia until middle of June. Like there, it, right. that may be, that may be where we're headed, but you don't need yeah. to do that for clicks. Kirk Herbstreit said that stuff so that he could like get clicks and, and make the news. It's like, yeah, that might happen. Let's get there when we get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and, I, I he's, think, and, 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 and who, again, it goes back to you are an analyst for college football. This isn't your realm, you know, to, to make a statement like that without the commissioner of the NCAA or the Big Ten or any athletic director, of any school coming out and saying that or, or voicing that opinion is, is also irresponsible. Well, I think, you know, also, and this goes back to what we we're saying about the coaches, kind of understanding who you are, you know what I mean, in your platform and. Um, you know, who's listening to you, even though, you know, because the, the other thing is I, I, I assume, and this is just, you know, from knowing Kirk a little bit, I assume that his opinion was based on something, right? He's done research. I'm sure he's talked to doctors and has people that he's consulted with that made him form that opinion. It was a, maybe an educated opinion. Um, but the problem is that 
your, the timing and the delivery of it wasn't necessarily clear for a lot of people. And like you said, V, the people who people are actually looking for in the sport, like the commissioners or, you know, uh, you know, the head of NCAA or whatever it is, they're not saying that. So nobody really wanted to hear from Kirk. And Zach, I have one more question for you, actually, before we let you go. Um, interestingly enough, the rapper Plies, he's been become like kind of a motivational speaker as it, uh, you know, as it pertains to kind of young athletes. And part of it is because he puts out these messages on social media. I've even seen, you know, Brian Hartline, some other coaches retweet him. Um, Plies was actually a former athlete, so he's not like a guy, just a random guy. Um, but one of the things that he had said, uh, particularly about this time was, you know, and maybe this isn't that profound, but it was interesting was that these guys, you know, young athletes need to really, really take this time to become better. And this is an opportunity to really, really kind of stand out. And the people who really are working hard now are going to be separated from the rest. And I guess my my question to you is, as a coach, you know, what type of advice would you give a young athlete or a player, you know, who's on a team right now, even a guy who's a star, what type of advice would you give them? And I'm sure you're talking to players right now. What advice are you giving these guys to, to, for how they should be handling this time period? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to Paris Campbell yesterday, I think, two days ago about it. And we had, to, I think it might have been inspired by the Plies video, which is funny because I, <laughs> I saw the same thing. And it's, it's like you, you normally, especially a young athlete, an NFL athlete kind of has freedom to do whatever they want anyways. Mm-hmm. When you talk about a college football player or a high school football player, they are bogged down with so much external things outside of the game. I'm not saying they're not important, but that, that's that's an easy built-in excuse. Like, I couldn't train for six hours today because I had, had class and homework and this and that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, now, you're at home. You have complete free. You don't have to go to class. You do it online whenever whenever you fit it in your day. But you can you can c- commit more time. And what that's going to do is the guys who really grind for this time – are going to be so far ahead of the guys that that even if they just kind of work out a little bit, it's mm-hmm. going to exponentially increase the gap. And so my what what I talked to Paris about, and he was even talking about it, is this is the time where it may be awkward. It may not be like it's not the same as Brian Hartline coaching you on a route or me coaching you through a drill. You may be out there with your your fiance and she's throwing you the ball, but it doesn't matter. You're running routes and you're doing something and you're getting better. And right. so that's why I think a lot of guys would feel awkward, like for you to go outside with your mom and she's going to shoot you jugs. It's like, I, that's right. weird. You know, like, is right. that grinding? Like, yeah, right. it is grinding. <laughs> right. It's grinding more than someone that's not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's and a great point. And I think also it's like you have the training element of it also. But, you know, a thing that we also hear about a lot with athletes is that they don't properly prepare. And this is probably more relevant to guys that are in, in the pro leagues is a lot of them don't necessarily have the time to think about things outside of football or outside of their sport when they are playing that sport. There's some time that you can carve out now to, to start thinking about what am I going to do when I'm 30 years old and this, this career is over as well, right? Because you do have 24 hours now where you're at home. Obviously, a lot of that time can be spent training, but there's also opportunity to develop your, your mind um, as well, which will also make you a better football player and person. Yeah, and Zach, I think one of the things you, you you just touched on too, especially for like the college athletes, is a lot of the external stuff. You know, study hall and you know class and you know family issues and not that those issues don't exist still, but there is a lot more time for these young guys, you know, to literally just 
be outside, go outside and work on your stance, go outside and work on your explosion, you know, do cone drills in your backyard. You still have the freedom to do that. You can go to a park, not saying you should be around people, but you can go to a park and, and get it in. Like you said, and if it's your fiance throwing you the ball, even if she misses you every time, it doesn't matter. You still ran those routes. And the other thing that I think that you said, which is very important, is that this is kind of a relative business, right? You know, yeah. Michael, so what you do, you know, it might not be the best thing, but if you're doing more than the other guy's doing, then you're going to look better than the other guy is going to look. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, assuming equal talent and all that other stuff. So, yeah, and, and my, my biggest point to, when I talked to Paris, I talked to a couple other guys is let's just say everything was normal. On an average day, you spend, what, an hour, hour and a half in a car if you got a lot going on. You just right. bought yourself 10 hours in that week that you don't have to do that. So where are you spending that 10 hours? Mm-hmm. That's great. It's a great point, man. It's a great point. And, and, and what I said on Twitter, you know, as a follow-up to, to Ply, what Ply said is that we are going to see, man. Like, yeah. oh, we, we're hey. going to see who put in the work and who did Hey, when you push play in the fall, you're going to find out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the thing so, is, you're, 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 you're also already seeing it with social media and and Instagram and everything, you're seeing, you're able to act. I'm seeing the guys, you know, even on the current team that, that I'm seeing every day posting their workout videos and, and showing what they're doing and, and, and the guys that aren't, you know, posting their, posting their, their, their video games, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like the DJ battles and the producer battles that are happening. You know, there's some people at home that are sulking. And again, everybody's going through stuff. So I'm not make, you know, making light of that. But there's some people who are thriving. DJ D-Nice is thriving. His career is going to be bigger than it ever was. He's already huge, but it's going to be bigger than it ever was when this thing is over. And so that's one of the things Ply said in the video, too, is, you know, one of his coaches told him that you either get better or you get worse. And life, it, life continues to go on, but literally only one of those two things happen. And a lot of times it really comes down to, to you and what you decide. So, you know, we are going to see, and hopefully we will have a college football season. And if we do have a college football season, that means that this pandemic has been gotten under control to a certain degree, which obviously we're hoping for first. Um, so we will see that. But we'll continue to monitor this thing as, you know, I think every week has changed. Um, the data is changing. The data is going to continue to change as we social, social distance because it's hard to model these, these things accurately, um, especially when you don't know what each individual person is going to do in a country of 350 million. Right. So um, but every week it looks like the optimism is growing a little bit, at least um, at least over the last week. And hopefully we continue moving in that direction. But we will continue talking about it. Zach, thanks for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. Uh, your insight is always is always great. Make sure you guys check out Zach's podcast, Menace to Sports. It's available everywhere. And we will talk to you soon, man. Have a good one. Stay safe. Yeah, I appreciate it. Stay safe. Thank you, too. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks to our guest, Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter, at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music, and V is at Viswant. And make sure you grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on up.